I've never heard anybody say, oh, yeah, I kind of like music. <laughs> you know, people <laughs> love music. Music, you know, people can say, I kind of like TV. I like some TV. I don't like much. I don't watch TV. Nobody ever says, oh, t music's okay. <laughs> you know, the music that people find, it just it, it rules their lives. It informs their lives. It raises them up. It makes them who they are. You're listening to The TV Campfire, a new podcast from ATX Television Festival. And this episode is brought to you by Rise. Join us as we explore the vital role of music in NBC's new series, Rise. Catch season one of Rise, now streaming on Hulu and the NBC app. Hi, y'all. I'm Emily. And I'm Caitlin. And we're the co-founders of ATX Television Festival. Norman Lear once said, television is the modern day campfire. So this series is building on the experiences of ATX Television Festival and the idea that you gather around the TV the same way folks used to gather around a campfire to tell and hear stories. This campfire chat explores how creatives find the perfect song for a scene, a season, or a series, and how music makes connections between the story and the viewer. We hear from Jason Kadams, showrunner and creator of all the shows that make you cry, music supervisor and KCRW rock star Liza Richardson, and editor extraordinaire Angela Catanzaro. If you aren't familiar with ATX or the concept of a TV festival, we spotlight classic shows, never aired pilots, and cult favorites, and dive into current hits and premieres of new series. We like to call it TV Camp for Grownups. Can I just take a moment to say, this episode has a really special place in my heart. Our very first festival was successful largely due to Friday Night Lights. Jason and Liza were both there in 2012, talking about FNL and Parenthood. I'll never forget, we hosted an outdoor screening of the FNL season one finale in a parking lot. Jason will tell you all about it a little later. Music is such a distinct language, and the music for a show is so, so critical. It can be charming and catchy, can be subtle and haunting, or powerfully cinematic. Jason, Angela, and Liza discuss how to make the perfect TV mixtape, one that stays with the viewer long after the episode ends. Pull up a log, pour yourself a drink, start roasting that marshmallow, and settle in for TV mixtapes. I'm Liza Richardson, and uh, this is cool. Thanks for inviting us. I'm a music supervisor, and I'm a most proud of my credits that I've done with Jason Kadams. <laughs> wow, I'm so intimidated right now by your radio <laughs> voice. It's I'm I just have to leave right now. I'm Jason Kadams. I'm a uh, writer, creator, showrunner. I've worked on with with Liza and with with Angela. I worked on uh, Friday Night Lights and Parenthood and and Rise. Uh, my name is Angela Catanzaro. I'm an editor, and if I had to pick my favorite credits. Friday Night Lights and Parenthood would be right at the top, and, and Rise is coming up. So I got to meet Jason Kadams in my interview for Friday Night Lights. I had met Peter Berg at a dinner party a friend of mine had, and he didn't have a film that required music supervision. It was a score-driven film, and said, hey, take a look at the pilot, and I'll get you a meeting. So I got a meeting with Jason Kadams and Jeff Henry, and then we talked. And Jason, that's that's how I met you. Yeah, and that's how I met Liza. I I I, I agree with that assessment. <laughs> you know, I think it was it was interesting. I Pete, Pete kind of made the introduction. I was really 
at the time, really just trying to figure out the musical voice of what the show was going to be, the way we were trying to figure out everything at the beginning of the show. I mean, that doing a, the first season of a show is the most intimidating time and also the most exciting time. With Friday Night Lights, it was really, you know, the one thing that we sort of had, which sort of came through from the original, from the movie, was there was already that sort of explosions in the sky sound that existed. But what we needed to do for series, just like so many other things that we needed, we needed to expand what the scope of the show was in so many ways, but definitely musically. And so from the very beginning, which sort of like a question of what is the show musically and, you know, what do we want to kind of lean into and what do we not want to lean into? And the thing that I kind of remember about Friday Night Lights that was so exciting musically was what a broad spectrum of music that we were able to use, that it was just sort of all felt kind of organic. I think it's because it was in that world of Texas, but it was also in the sort of football world and, um, you know, and sort of adrenaline-fueled music. And it was also in that sort of like indie, you know, the, the, the sort of indie, you know, because it was the, the show was also very like emotional and sensitive. So like sort of indie music also felt really right. And of course, then you could just do like straight traditional country music. It was like everything. And it was, and that was and really- And hip hop. And hip hop, because, you know- you That had, was huge. The hard rock for, for football, the hip hop, the country, the indie rock. And really also helped develop, sort of establish the worlds of the characters. Because one of the things I was really excited about, you know, I'd never done a show like this where we shot every single scene on location. We didn't build a single set and we shot in the location where it was actually supposed to be. That was so exciting. And what we really wanted to do was, you know, from the very beginning was like, it said so much about these characters of like, where does Smash Williams live versus the Riggins brothers versus Saracen. You know what I mean? It was like their worlds of where they lived were different. They all came from a different place and it was very specific. And the music also helped to inform all of those characters. I think music is becoming more of a character of its own and people are feeling freer to use it, not just like as an accompaniment or, you know, to tell you how to feel about a scene, but like it can really be specific and have its own voice. And sometimes it's okay, I think, for the music to draw attention to itself. Obviously, you don't want to do that every every time, but... I mean, for me, I mean, I feel like my job as a music supervisor is to just assist and help the showrunner or, you know, the filmmakers who help them get what they want out of music. I mean, that I feel like that is my number one job, whether it's getting it for the right price or making sure it clears or finding them the right song or uh, navigating the system of licensing, which sometimes gets complicated or creatively finding something. I mean, I just feel like my entire, you know, what I try to do for people that I work with is, is just to provide that service. I think as an editor, my I can be most useful and do my best work when I'm filtering and distilling the essence of the story that the writer has given us in the script and hopefully the actors have respected or expanded on that. I mean, my job is to choose the best of the best and you know, sometimes that means leaving things out and 
on Jason's shows, we've been given the opportunity to explore leaving things out. And character comes first, you know, even if the director absolutely wants that crane shot in instead of that, you know, close up of somebody teary eyed. Uh, you have to remember at the end of the day, nobody, nobody cares about the crane shot. They care about whether or not they're feeling something. So my job is, I guess, just to make sure that, you know, we're, we're always on that right path to make the best story we can, the most compelling story. And music figures huge in that picture. I mean, my feeling is whatever I have to say should be said in the script, you know, and that gets translated by what the directors and the actors do so that when, you know, when it gets to, you know, putting the assembly together and putting the, you know, editing it, it sort of starts to become kind of, I think it's sort of like go, a lot of this stuff goes without saying. Like It's intuitive. It, it's intuitive and it's, you know, it's just sort of like almost a larger idea of what we're trying to do with the shows, you know, and um, usually that has to do with sort of, finding the sort of an emotional, you know, sort of core to it, which is like what we're doing in every aspect of of making the show from when it comes to the writing the script or performing it or the cinematographers and, and is no different editorially. You know, we're trying to come up with the deepest version of the scenes and, you know, not only in terms of music, but in terms of the performances to try to mine the, the material that you have, the film that you have, you know, to obviously tell the story, but also to tell the story in a way that, in, you know, is the most intimate way of telling it. And that's basically what we're trying to do. My feeling about television is the beauty of television is the collaborative nature of it. I feel like if didn't want to embrace that, you know, I could write a book. But I think the beauty of it is what I always hope for is that when I when I sit in the editing room and watch the episode, what I always hope for is that what I see exceeds my what my expectations were when I wrote the script. I think my feeling about the use of music has actually changed over the years. And I'm a little more conservative now in terms of how often I feel like I want to hear score with something, particularly scenes that are really like raw emotional scenes. Um, my instinct early on in my career would have been to just, oh, well, we have to have some sad, you know, sad score here. But I feel like the absence of score sometimes is even more powerful than the score. And then when you do use it, you're not, you're not dull to it. I think when you just plaster something, an episode of television wall to wall with music has happened so many times. You just, it, you tune it out. And it's not special anymore. It does nothing for you but just make things, you know, noisier. And it becomes like wallpaper. Yeah. But I think if you're really judicious about where you put that music, it's going to be so much more effective. So I've I've tend to hold off on score sometimes and wait for someone else to ask for it. And then if someone else asks for it, then I feel like, okay, I can do this. Because I was thinking about it, but I wasn't quite sure the scene is beautiful without. But if somebody else, like Jason, comes in and says, you know, I think we, we might want to try score here. I'm like, yes, okay, let's let's do it. Well, you know, it's an interesting thing, the collaboration and how it works, you know, because it's not like us all sitting down together in a room and talking about it. Like, you know, uh, you know, as we were sort of saying before, talking about music is a fool's errand in a way. Things happen in a much more organic, natural kind of way. And so I kind of feel like I sort of rely on two things. I rely on on Liza, who has this incredible knowledge of music and finger on the pulse of what's happening musically. 
you know, and all these instincts and ways of sort of incorporating and understanding, you know, the, the, you know, sort of creating almost the palette of music for the show. And then, you know, I feel like Angela will take, or the editor, in this case, Angela, will sort of, it will be the one to sort of take the songs that Liza sort of is suggesting or providing and find ways to find like where, what, what works where and why. You know what I mean? Like, where does he, where do you want to be taken? Where do you want to take the audience at that moment, and 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 why? The music should always elevate the scene, is what I feel. The other thing I was going to say, which is especially relevant now because it's television pilot season right now, and I'm working on a pilot, which every year I say I'm never going to do, and then every year I usually end up on one. But you know, the discussion with the network and studio about music is always a big one, and everyone is always very passionate and feels strongly about something uh, related to the music. A pilot you're really trying to find the sound and the signature of the show and you, you've basically by the end of the process you've probably tried music in every scene because somebody has wanted it or asked for it and I always feel like if you can't find a place for where that song or where that score should start it just doesn't belong in the scene yeah. and we encountered that yesterday in fact there's one scene and we tried starting it in four or five different places it's like you know what it just doesn't belong that's the thing because if you don't feel you know if there isn't that strong instinct that says here's the spot it's just not it's just not right and sometimes we're asked as music supervisors we're asked to um, fit a song into a spot that is like twisting and turning and like there's songs just don't do that you know songs have a normal structure they have an introduction and a verse and a chorus and a bridge and you know they just most songs are like that just like don't force it because songs just don't always belong in places I don't know exactly what else to say about the power, except for that, you know, every project is different. You know, sometimes songs play to punctuate a comedic moment, and it's just songs can be jokes. There are certain shows where there's, it's just the most cliche song that you can possibly think of that will tell the joke and tell that story. There's a lot of network television where a song is, it's just, it's just got to be obvious because you just need to establish where you are, and you can't be in a blue-collar bar and listen to sophisticated indie rock. You know, it just doesn't um, feel right. Music can be powerful in making certain things more obvious than they already are. But on the other hand, it's, it's more fun to work with music when it's less expected. And I feel like most of the projects that I get to work on with Jason and Angela, it's just much deeper. What you're talking about, too, is the idea that I feel like that that's just a particular technique, I guess, of sometimes taking the words out completely and having music play over a moment is so much more powerful than hearing what they're saying. So this Parenthood episode from season four when Christina is telling the family that she has cancer. There was nothing that I could have written in words because I, we, this was information that we kind of already knew, like the audience already knew that. The question was how she was going to tell them. And so the idea that she begins to tell them and then all sound goes away and music takes over is sometimes the most powerful way to communicate what that moment is like 
you know, and it's true, like those kinds of moments in life, like people always say, like time slowed down, right? Mm-hmm. Like time slowed down when that happened. <laughs> and that's, you know, when those big moments happen, you know, time slows down and it mirrors that, um, you know, the, to, to, to do that in, the, in a television show. And I feel like we've done that on like all of these shows. At and Rise points. Included, yeah. yes. And by the absolutely. way, sometimes completely planned, sometimes written into the script. Yes. Sometimes it's written in the script. And then, you know, the words start to fade and, and, and music takes over. Sometimes it's those editors <laughs> who are taking away my beautiful Molly. language. Well, I have to say, from, no, we're having worked with a bunch of different showrunners and writers. Jason is less precious about his words than anyone mm. I've ever worked with. I mean, you see... Uh, the potential in the storytelling from all different angles, not just a, you know, a writer's perspective. And I'll tell everybody, like, if you ever get a chance to work on a Jason Kadem show, yeah. do not. Although I don't want to. Don't do, do it. Not. Do not do it. <laughs> do you remember the first time you were moved by music and TV? Yes. And I think that it could be an embarrassing story, but I think a lot of people are going to agree with it in Say by the Bell when Zach and Kelly break up and Jesse is singing this really sad breakup song and I remember watching this and being so sad and wanting to find the song but at the time like you couldn't download it anywhere there was no place to go buy it uh Saved by the Bell tended to have both made up and real songs I'm thinking I'm so excited I'm so excited I'm just so scared as well as like the Zach Attack song I believe it was a made up song I don't know for sure but I should definitely look that up now In this episode, we're talking more about music supervising and editing and... But Emily, I've been wanting to ask you. We have a bit of a love affair with Rise. Was there something that surprised you? No, nothing surprised me, and I'll tell you why. Please. It's because this show was created by Jason Kadams and the producers of Hamilton. I knew that I was going to love it, and it's high school theater. So all of the things that I love rolled into one. It's high school. Yes. It's theater. (laughs) Exactly. All of these things I love with my entire being, and so I knew that I was going to love this show. So no, I was not surprised at all, but I was delighted. Anything that has surprised you about Rise? Um, I don't think it's that kind of show. This is not a gotcha It is a heartwarming, lean in deeper. But I learned from Jason that in the finale, you will be pleasantly surprised. This is not a spoiler. It is just trivia, so don't worry. That Jason had Duncan Cheek and Steven Sater, who wrote the original Spring Awakening music. He pitched them to do a new song, gave them all of this information about the lead characters, and wrote a brand new song that is in the finale that is part of the musical, not just the show. What's the name of the new song? The name of the new song is called All You Desire. And I just think that's a super cool, like, especially as you mentioned, the Hamilton producers are part of this. We've got a lot of musical heavy hitters. The original show was in 2007. So 10 years later, they get to revisit their musical and add an extra layer to it. It's just like all these things combining. Guys, check it out. Fun fact. Okay. I saw Spring Awakening in Los Angeles the night that Obama was elected. So if you're big fans of Spring Awakening, (laughs) and if you don't know Spring Awakening, you're going to fall in love with it watching this show. You guys, what are you waiting for? Head to Hulu or the NBC app and watch all of season one. So the new show that we're working on, we're all working on Rise, which is this 
show that I've has been like such an incredible passion project and thrill for me. You know, it's a story. It's inspired by a true story, and it's about a public high school English teacher who is feeling sort of like midlife crisis where nothing that he's doing in the world is getting him anywhere. He doesn't seem to really be having an effect as a teacher on these students, and he's watching this town really suffer. And so he decides to do something. What he decides to do is to take over the drama department. And it's this very just inspirational story about what happens in this drama department, and it's very much not dissimilar to Friday Night Lights in that, you know, you're learning about the stories of him and his family and his marriage, but also the student stories, and you go home with, with them and learn about their families and their relationships and all that stuff. But it has this element to it, this musical theater element um, to it, which is something that's completely new to me and exciting and brings a whole different layer to the discussion of using music in television because here we're dealing with putting on a show. We're seeing the rehearsals, auditions, we're seeing them perform, we're seeing different stages of the production of like when the band comes in and how that affects our, not only does it affect you know the television show, but it affects our production and our storytelling. But also what's kind of been interesting about it and there are moments when we use the songs in the show and our cast performing those songs and use them in a similar way to needle drop songs to work as not only straight narrative moments, but these more poetic moments. The show we're doing is Spring Awakening, and it's written by Stephen Sater and Duncan Sheik. It's the most beautiful show with the most beautiful songs. And we use just about all of them over the first season. And so lots of times we'll use them in this sort of emotional montage sequence, which is, as I said, similar to how we would you know, use songs in Parenthood or Friday Night Lights, but it has this other layer. And it has this really, it's, you know, it's very emotional because you watch these young, this incredible young ensemble cast up there singing these, all those songs in Spring Awakening are so deeply personal. It takes you and you travel with it. And it's been this really exciting thing and it's fun. Yeah. Jason, how did the Hamilton producers come into the fold? The way the whole show came about was Jeffrey Seller, who produced... Hamilton and, and Rent and In the Heights and many, many other shows. He's fantastically talented Broadway producer. Read this book. He read this book called Drama High, which was written about this teacher, written by Mike Sokolov, about a teacher named Lou Volpe, who taught for 45 years and taught high school and ran the high school drama program in his school. And took this program that was sort of this overlooked, underfunded drama program and made it into this nationally recognized incredible program, which, among other things, wound up doing like the first, the pilot, what they call the pilot productions, the first high school productions of Les Miserables and Spring Awakening. So he created this incredible thing. And so Jeffrey read this book and it moved him. He thought, oh, this could be a TV show. And then some years later, he made a deal with NBC to produce television. And he he and Floaty went to Bob Greenblatt and he handed them the book and they said, here's the show that we want to make. And luckily for me, <laughs> Bob Greenblatt then read the book and loved it and called me and said, I think this is something you should look at. And that's how that's how the show kind of got started. Cool. Define needle drop. Yeah, so a needle, yeah. yeah, so basically a needle drop, really all needle drop means is it's using a song. It's how we refer to using songs as opposed to score. So score is the original 
music that your composer will be writing for the song. A Needle Drop is an already existing recorded song that you license on on shows. Most people call it a needle drop. I personally, just to be like crystal clear with people that don't understand, is I say licensed music in the show. Right. That's what I usually handle is licensed music as opposed to original music, which is score. As right. opposed to also source music. Source. Which is like when you're in the bar. Is and coming from song? a source. Yes. Source music comes from a source. A needle drop just kind of appears and takes you A needle you drop can be a montage or it can be used as score. It can be score-like, but a source piece of music is coming from a source. When someone is singing on camera, it's tied to picture and it's called a visual vocal. So NBC has a wonderful clearance department. Marcus was our clearance guy on uh, Rise and he had to deal with Spring Awakening clearance. Now, usually I have to handle all the clearances, but I have so much support at NBC. I heard it was quite the behemoth. It was a big undertaking because it was not a common thing. We, it wasn't like we were using a song from a show that we were going to use at one time. We were going to be using it for, you know, tracking it for the entire season. You're and not only licensing the music, you're licensing the broad rights to the entire production of Spring Awakening. Broad rights is a whole nother level of licensing that is not included with your basic music licenses. And So it was a, it was a big undertaking. I will say... The exciting part of that undertaking for me was I got to meet Stephen Sater and Duncan Sheik and, and collaborate with them and work with them over the course of doing this first season. And it was an incredibly joyous collaboration. I went to the New York Public Forming Arts Library with Stephen and watched on DVD, watched Spring Awakening, the Broadway production of Spring Awakening, with him. So I got to sit there with the author of the show and say to him, so why did you do that? Or what is that? Why, what, you know, and all that stuff. So it was like, you know, this amazing experience that they luckily completely embraced. I felt very lucky, especially in the first season of the show, to not only get this great material to work with, but also to have these incredible partners who really supported what we were trying to do with it. Something I didn't even realize at the beginning when I started on the show is that these are all new arrangements. And people might not realize that. These are all new arrangements of these songs right, right. for our cast. Right. And not just, you know, what was performed on Broadway, but made specifically for our actors. Every single song that we did, we had to make decisions. For the first few episodes, everything was just piano and vocal. And then once we had the band come into the show, there were like a million questions. So who is this band? Are they, first of all, do they have a band? Because a lot of high schools don't have bands. Are they adults? Sometimes high schools bring in adults and professional musicians. Sometimes it's the school band. And so that became a whole character to the show. They weren't that great at first. You know, one of the, one of the, like, the weird things about doing the show is you have these, you're working with this incredibly talented young cast. And these incredibly talented young musicians. Who, and sometimes you have to make them seem not as good really as they are. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> I was being nice. But, you know, there was, you know, so that was also because we really wanted it to feel like, you know, it was important to me that this felt authentic, this show. That this felt like a high school. That the whole idea of this show was it's supposed to be this small town high school in rural Pennsylvania. I wanted it to feel authentic in that way. It was complicated for us to like find that sweet spot to make it feel realistic 
But also, of course, it is a TV show and you want those moments to, to shine. You want them to shine. And also there was a great progression. So by the time we get later in the season, and especially by the very end of the season, there's the joy to have seen their growth from where we watched them at the beginning to what they, what they got to by the end. That was an interesting thing for me, editing the episodes, to be aware of, because normally you're looking through, say there's six takes of an actor singing this solo part in this song, and normally you would just gravitate towards the very best. Oh, this part's good for this, 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 these lyrics, and then for this part of the song I'll use this take. But I found myself wanting to just use like one take. And maybe there were some parts of it that were great, and maybe there were parts of it that weren't so great. But that's really how it would be if this high school kid was performing this for maybe the second time in front right. of an audience. So right. I and had to, you know, I had to think about it and reset myself. And early on, that that felt right. I I do feel that television has this. It's like an incredible privilege to be able to make television shows especially the kinds of shows that I've been lucky enough to do because most of the shows that I've done have just really been human stories. They're stories about people, how we, you know, uh, are figuring our lives out. You, know? you would think those should be the big hits. It turns out they're not, <laughs> but we do get by. You know, we do get by on them and we get to make those stories. And it's, it's really an honor to, be, to, to do that. And I think all of these things that we've been talking about the, the, the process of, of how music gets incorporated into that, the, the, the process of editorially how, it, how the, it's affected by that are all, all major, major, major tools in making these stories feel, you know, making these stories be things that people, when they watch the shows, feel something. You know, I don't want to do shows that people can watch casually. You know, I want them to actually to be like an experience. Which is why it drives me so crazy when I watch my daughter. Like, like whenever I put on Netflix and she's used it, it has the subtitles on. And I realize it's because she's been, like, watching it while she's been doing, like, five other things. <laughs> you know? I'm like, that's not the way to watch TV. Right, right. You can't do that to me. I wanted to sort of add one thing to what you were saying about the process in editing. You know, I mean, I think it's everything that, that you were saying. But I think it's also something else, which I, I really wanted to say about the editing process. Because... I think like people misunderstand it to some degree. I love being in the editing room so much. Partially it's because like when I'm in the editing room, people know not to like come in there and bother me <laughs> unless it's like oh like a really important call or something. So it's like the one place I can go and I could just be there sanctuary. with the editor the and sanctuary. just and and work, you know. But partially it's because the editing process to me mirrors the writing process more than any other aspect of making television. When you get into the editing room, you are writing again. As good as anybody gets at, at, at what they do, you never know from the time you write, write the script what you're, what you're going to get. <laughs> no matter how faithful people are to the script or whatever, it's not really about that. It's like things happen. You know, things happen when and good things happen and sometimes challenges come, come about in, in storytelling. And so you are you're writing again, you know, and I really think that's the, you know, the thing that that these editors really are, are bringing is they're 
they're great storytellers. And you see how, because I think people think of editing and they think of things like, oh, you had to cut that out. That must have been hard or it, but it's it's just it's not about yes. that. It's about telling a story, you know. I think the word yeah. you use, distill, yeah, yeah, is amazing. But really, no word, one yeah. knows what what we do. I was joking oh, the other I day. I don't know what you I'm, do. So I said I'm 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 working on a pilot right now, and I said to the producer, "Well, it's okay, you know. I just made a joke. Well, they'll they'll probably fire me right after they fire the composer." And he said, "No, you're safe. They don't know what you do." Yeah. <laughs> so. True. But I, I, you know, I think that is most people really, really don't know. Oh, it's, you know? it's a mystery That's to okay. me. My mission is to educate. I have heard that with the success of Roseanne in the last couple of weeks, that there is an argument for network television having this power still and shows like The Voice. Now, Jason, aren't you going to be working on an episode of The Voice coming up? We are, yes. <laughs> That's such a so, good plug. So, um, <laughs> so there is... There is a um, a case to be made for mass consciousness television. I mean, there's something neat about it. Like when everybody watches, um, what was the recent, um, Jesus Christ Superstar was on during Easter. And I think the ratings were pretty good. Mm-hmm. When everybody in the whole world watches the Super Bowl, it's kind of cool to like talk about it the next day or talk about the commercials or, you know. That kind of thing. Right. The voice gets really big numbers, right? right. This and is so- us. And there's a lot of, I mean, I feel like there are definitely examples of how that sort of broadcast world is still can be so powerful. When I've noticed like myself and my own, like watching TV, what's changed so much was like, it used to be like, if you found a show that was like good, you would be so faithful to that show. Yeah. So loyal to the show. I can't tell you how many shows like I've watched that are really good shows where I've watched two or three episodes mm-hmm. and I, yeah. and I have stopped. So it has to be yeah. like television now needs to like, you have to find a way to, for it to be so gripping that, you know, it's going to capture people's attention. The other thing about it is that I think there is a, a change, which is neither good nor bad. It's not, it's not like necessarily a great thing or not necessarily a terrible thing, but I think there's basically a, a change in how we all look at television, which is it's more like, you know, going to a library and taking a library book out, seeing a show. It's like you don't feel like you're going to be watching the same show that all your friends are watching, you know, and you don't also don't feel the same type of like sort of loyalty to it. You're you're like more like, oh, I can watch this. I can watch a few episodes. Great. I'm done with it. You know, I'll try something else out. You know, I mean, of course, everybody has those shows that they still, you know, like they they love and they can't wait for the next season to come out and all that. But um, I think overall, that's, you know, something that's both in a way great because there's like there's just so much content out there, so much so many things to choose from. But it's a challenge. It's a challenge both from the people for the people who make television, but I think also for viewers like. Like, I kind of, like, wish there was, like, a better way to just find shows, you know? Oh I wish God, there was a better way to find too. shows. Like, why is there not a better way to find shows, you know? Jason, um, I have an idea. Oh, you have an idea? we need to talk about. Oh, okay. my God. Yes. Show Finder. Show Finder. It's an app that I've been working on forever, but 
I just can't get it off the ground. <laughs> well, there was never this much TV either. Oh, which that's is for our sure. TV, I okay, guess, that, in that air I, because it's not really television. I mean, it's I've everywhere. Read the st- statistics on that are very, you know, concrete. There is a lot more television happening right now on everything now except HBO shows. The end credit music is usually cut off, but like if you're watching Netflix or something. So, I mean, I've really discouraged all of our shows that want to use an end credit song to do it, especially like, so this season of Narcos season four that we're working on right now, it's just just not do it. It's just a waste of money. I mean, the numbers just don't support spending money on that. So personally, it's sad, but unfortunately, it's not a good idea to spend money there. When things air on network television anyway, that the credits oh, are yeah. always smushed. We never had sped it. Sped up. Like mm-hmm. normal human being cannot read those yeah. words that quickly. <laughs> like if you don't touch your Netflix, it just restarts the next episode even before the yeah, credits are over maybe. Saying. So But HBO, I love I love it. I mean, whenever they they play their credits, they do really nice credits, everybody gets credit <laughs> and um and then they have a song and it's fun to listen. It's just, I love end credit music, but unfortunately that's one of the only places you can hear it. Have you ever been totally swept up by a TV moment? You find yourself leaning in, holding still. Maybe you look at your arm and you see goosebumps. Even in something like Saved by the Bell, <laughs> you felt an emotional tie to what is essentially background music. At times you'll notice it, but at times it just moves you along with the characters. Those songs become tied to whatever emotional thing is happening. The equivalent to songs from your childhood, for me it was Garth Brooks. Anything Garth Brooks makes me remember being 10 years old. And so those songs are wrapped up in whatever was happening in that TV moment. So for example, for me, I'll never be able to listen to How to Save a Life by The Fray without thinking of Grey's Anatomy. It is, I mean, forever seared. I think sometimes it's the music and television that means you'll remember that TV moment forever. Speaking of which, there's this moment in Rise after the big game, this really emotional scene where Robbie, the high school quarterback, takes Lou, his drama teacher, with him to the hospital to meet his mom. It's this incredibly powerful moment and you hear no dialogue. And when they walk in, this beautiful song is playing and you can't hear them talking. You can see that they're speaking, you just don't hear what they're saying. Just this beautiful song. And I love that Liza, Angela, and Jason talk about those type of scenes on this episode. Well, cause it's crazy cause Jason's a writer. And he's constantly talking about how much he likes scenes with no words. I know, but I think it just goes to show that he's created these incredible characters and these incredible setups that once you get to the emotional climax of an episode or of a scene, you actually don't need dialogue because you're so invested in who those people are. Here's the deal. If you haven't seen Rise, what are you waiting for? No, seriously, it lives up to the hype. You need to get on board, like, right now. Well, not... Right now, right now, you need to finish this episode. Then go stream it on Hulu or the NBC app. Need more folks to vouch for it? How about Vanity Fair? They call Rise powerful. TV Guide says, prepare to get chills. (laughs) I did get chills, but I don't know how you prepare for them. There's no way to prepare. You just go with it. You just get them. If you've ever watched a Jason Kadem show before, you know chills are going to be involved. Chills and watery eyes and And, red nose and and all the Kleenex you can imagine. Speaking of which, Rise just happens to be available now, streaming on Hulu.com. So check it out. Do yourself a favor.
when I was in high school, I wanted to be a songwriter. And you, you, everybody's shocked by that. <laughs> That's that. awesome. When I was in college, I kind of discovered that kind of naturally kind of led into other kinds of writing. I um, did all kinds of writing when I was in college and ultimately led to playwriting. And that's what I decided to do. So I pursued playwriting and theater for after college for a bunch of years. I wasn't thinking about TV. I wasn't really, I loved TV, but it wasn't like I was loved the TV, the type of TV that I wound up writing. It wasn't, that was, I didn't feel like that was my calling. And then I got a call out of the blue from Edgewick's office, and who had read one of my plays, hired me to write on my so-called life. And that's how I came in. That's how, I, that's how I'm here. Is that unusual <laughs> for a producer to, like, have read a play and then you get a job that, that way? That was the most unusual thing <laughs> yeah, ever. Exactly. It was like what they, it was what they called, like, like, the big break, but it just took, like, many, many years of not having a big break for the big break to happen. But immediately, once that happened, within six months, I was writing on that show. And I never stopped writing television since then. Wow. I've like never stopped. Since we're talking about this, I have a question for you. Because Jason, I found out recently, well, there's a rumor that you're in a band. Oh, really? Yeah, That's not Patrick, true. But well, Pat, with Patrick, Patrick Norris. Patrick Norris, yes. And uh, I think there was a song that your wife sang on, too, yes, maybe? Yes, I'd right. heard this. So that's right. I think that's pretty Patrick cool. Knight, oh, Patrick that's Norris right. likes to say, I'm in a band. But we don't really have a band. So what oh. Patrick Norris and, I, and, and a few friends will like hang out and play music. And then Patrick, Patrick Norris is a dear friend of mine who I've known forever since my so-called life. He is the only person that I've worked with on every single show that I've done. And he's he directs. On, he's he's, he's a director. Directors. He's a wonderful yeah. television director. He's going to be so happy hearing this. Don't cut this out. He'll be like, so like, oh my God, they talked about me forever on this, on this thing. And so, um, and so Patrick Norris was, um, you know, so we hang out and play music with friends but then Patrick decided about a couple of years ago to record an album. It was like his, what's the word for that? Your, Dream? On your, your bucket, bucket list. list. Yeah, bucket yeah, okay. List. Thank you. It was okay. his bucket right. list thing to do. He wanted to record an album. And so he was going to record, it was going to be his album. He did it under pseudonym. I'm trying to remember the name. I'll remember it. And he rented out a bunch of studio time and invited a bunch of friends. In, and it was an amazing, it was like a beautiful experience. He had people from all walks of his life, from way in the past to people he just met. And he made an album. And so... One day he called me up. He said, oh, I want you to write a song for this album. And it was very, in, it was incredibly intimidating to me because I had, you know, here I am, like I, I write every day of my life. I write, I could write like a television script in a short amount of time and I'm, it's, I'm not at all intimidated by it. But the idea of like writing a song. And I said, okay, Patrick, let me think about when do I need to do this? But he said, well, we're going to record it on Friday. This is like on Wednesday. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know how to do that. He said, you can write songs. And we kind of came up with like a chord progression together. And then he, he said, okay, now go home and like write the lyrics, you know? And I was literally sitting with Kathy, with my wife. And I was like, Kathy, like, I don't know. I, I don't think I know how to write a song. You know, <laughs> I don't know how to do this. And so she, like, we wrote the song, the lyrics, you know, together. 
And oh, wow. then it was it was a great experience, and we went and recorded it. And oh, we used amazing. it in the past. Oh, we used it in the oh, past. No oh, that's right. <gasps> oh, that's right. Patrick directed an episode of The Path, and he had them. He didn't. We didn't use our version of it, which was a mistake, Liza. You should have used uh, our version of it. I think it's Vince in the Garage Band. Is his is his uh, band was was the name of his group. We had like the. Um, Characters. Cast, yeah. It was, you know, Sarah's brother. Brother. Patch. Um, what is Patch. it? Patch. Is, yeah. Patch is the actor's the name. The actor, yeah. I, I talked to him on the phone about yeah. that. Because he's directing everything I do. So I'll go to, like, you know, to visit the set, and all these people from the crew come up to me and say, Yeah, so you're banned. Tell me about your band. <laughs> I'm not in a band. You know? <laughs> so, oh, like, sorry. so my uh, history with. Uh, the ATX Festival is, first of all, I really love the festival. I, when they started it, it was, what they said was, why isn't there like a television, why isn't there a festival for television? It's like four million f festivals for film. Why not for television? And I was like, I never thought of that, you know, but it was so smart. And so the first time I, and every time I've gone there, it's been an amazing experience. I've got to go be part of panels, be part of screenings, go watch panels, watch heroes of mine, you know, and shows that I, I admire and it's been so great. But the greatest thing was the first festival was the was the Friday Night Lights screening. And it was like this I mean, it was it was like a tailgate style outdoor screening. I think most of the actors came and it was just such a celebration of the show in this amazing way. And then the great thing was to come back for their reunion screening. It was the fifth year, but it was like a, it was like the, re, it was like, how long was it after we finished doing the show? It was a while. 10 years since you premiered, five years since you ended. So it was five years since the last show. But the great thing about that was, I don't know how they did it, but they had the screening. I mean, I just get emotional thinking about it. <laughs> they did the screening at on the football field where we shot the show. And the amazing thing about this football field was, so when we found this football field, when, when we were shooting there, it had been, uh, the grass had been grown over for 10 years. And we went in and spent a lot of money putting on turf, redoing the, the, the field house, and really making it into a presentable field. You would think the city of Austin, when we finished shooting there, would have embraced that and used it for youth football and all this. No, they just let it all grow out of it. So somehow, the, the, not only they, they did the screening at the field, and somehow they made that field presentable enough, sort of. <laughs> they made the field presentable enough to have a screening there, and it was the most amazing thing. And the greatest part for me was the green room where, they, where all the talent kind of gathered was the field house. And so I went back to the field house for the first time in five years, and there's like Landry, and there's, and there's, what's, you know, what's Tammy doing in the, in the locker room? Um, and I, and I was, and, and street, and I was like a fan of, I was literally taking pictures. I was like, I was like, no, you know, Gaius, you know, uh, you know, uh, you guys don't stand there for a second. I got to get that. But, you know, you know, and it was like really, it was really amazing. So the, the, in any case, the, I can't say enough about the, the festival, how it sort of has certainly honored Friday Lights and a number of shows that 
Parenthood and a number of shows that I've done, but so many shows in, in this way that television shows aren't used to being kind of just seen that way and, and, and talked about that way. So it's really an amazing, an amazing event. One of the things that I love about the ATX Festival is the, you know, the Texas aspect of television. So Friday Night Lights, I love the way that um, ATX has honored Friday Night Lights because it's it's such an inherently Texas show. Same with The Leftovers. You guys are amazing on that because that was shot there. So anyway, I just, I love the festival too. I think it's great that there is a TV festival. Every time I say I'm going, I've been, I've been twice. But every time I say, hey, I'm going to this uh, TV festival, people say, what? <laughs> There's a TV festival? And it's, of course, why wouldn't there be? As, as Jason said, you know, there's so many film festivals. It's it's amazing that nobody else thought of this before. You lovely girls and came also, up with this great idea. And also amazing how much it's grown yeah. in a very short amount of time. You know, it's it's really exciting to 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 watch it, you know, kind of continue to get out there. And now podcasts. The TV Campfire was produced by Kristen Myers with music and editing by Five Ohm Productions. This production was made possible by our wonderful partners, Matica Productions and the Forever Dog Podcast Network. Be sure to check out their other great series at foreverdogpodcast.com. Go to atxfestival.com for details on this and our other audio projects. You could also buy badges and join us at the festival June 7th through 10th in Austin. And you can watch the season finale of this podcast live. We hope to see you there. <laughs>